This is Two Guys in a River. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. We're two lifelong friends who love fly fishing for trout. Our podcast is all about helping you catch more fish and deepening your love of the time you spend on the river. We are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing. Recently, one of our listeners, Mike, sent us a photo of a trout he caught with a big bulge in its stomach. Mike said, It appears as though this guy just had a huge meal. Another fish? Maybe a mouse? What are your thoughts? I was thinking it might be interesting to hear about the strangest things trout have been known to eat. It would also be interesting to hear what some of the strangest flies or lures on which people have caught fish. That's a terrific idea for a podcast. Yes, it is, and that's what we're going to talk about today, surprising things trout eat. Now, before we get there, Dave, we just have to stop and say, this has been a challenge to get this thing recorded. Oh, my goodness. We record our episodes in batches. And so yeah, about four at a time. About yeah. four at a time. I think we've done five at a time. Not right. Not often. But, but that's all we can do before we have to eat lunch. <laughs> exactly. Lunch gets yeah, in the way. That's right. And yesterday we came, I came to Steve's office. So that's about an hour, an hour away. And got here and I couldn't get my computer to work. I have a Mac. And recently I've been having problems with the port, with the power. It's one of those old MacBooks that only has one port. So if that's not working, uh, you're in trouble. So we couldn't get uh, the software to work. So we came all the way up here. I came all the way up here. We had lunch. We had a good lunch, except that I had a big hair in oh, my yeah, uh, that's right. tacos. Oh man, at this really, I said, Dave, I got to take you to this place. This is great, new new place, great restaurant, and uh, yeah, we found that. Uh, the upside was we got our lunch free. We did, and you were really good, Steve. You you know we weren't grumpy, and and Steve still said, you know, we we need to give a tip to the waiter. Because it wasn't really his fault. Yeah, it fault. wasn't his fault. Yeah, true. So, so anyway, so yesterday we didn't record. Yeah. I mean, that was really a three to four hour swing out of my day, but yeah. you know, and we didn't get to record. So it's the next day after that, right? So which is today. Yeah. So, and we're, so we're back we're, at it. We're back. Uh, it's a surprise that we're able to record. And we're talking about surprising things trout eat. (laughs) So, yeah, we want to thank Mike for this idea. Now, just for the sake of review, let's identify the not-so-surprising things trout eat because this is what determines what flies uh, we use. So what's our list, Dave? Well, the first is aquatic insects, mayflies, caddisflies, stoneflies, midges, and, and a host of others yeah, that we've talked are unmentionable about, or right, unforgettable yeah. <laughs> or forgettable. Yeah, they, they probably are forgettable. That's why we do have some podcasts on those. We've written some articles, so you can find all that. Second would be terrestrial insects. These are insects that don't live in the water, but they they fall into it or get blown into it. Uh, hoppers, ants, beetles, so that's why you want those uh, categories. And also worms and snails, that's another category. We love the San Juan worm. It's kind of a go-to, but, you know, worms and snails are, are what trout yeah. like to eat. Worm is a worm is a worm, huh? A worm is a worm is a worm. Yeah, fourth category would be crustaceans. I think I said that right. So scuds, crayfish, and that's pretty, that's about it, right? Maybe, oh, what else? Oh, yeah, there's eggs, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, we fish in the fall, and, right. and there's all these fish that come behind the spawning beds yeah. and, and and gobble up the eggs. And then yeah. there's also other fish, right. I mean, including 
their own young fish yeah, yeah. eat their own young <laughs> yeah that's great happy birthday come here <laughs> glad you were born yeah yeah that's right i'm hungry and, you know this this strikes me as something we should pause <laughs> and giggle about but i you you and i are a little bit older at the tail very tail end of the baby boomer generation yeah. but there's a whole group of folks who are growing now up in the outdoors and in the wild and i think sometimes initially not always but you come to the outdoors with kind of a naive romantic view of the outdoors oh yeah and in the end you get out there and it's eat and be eaten it is a violent place it's yeah. a violent place yep. one of the best books I ever uh read was uh andy dillard's pilgrim at tinker creek oh yeah i think yes. that was done in the early 70s i think she won like either a national book award or the pulitzer yep. for that i but got it on my shelf I she talks she does it she talks about insects munching the heads off of other insects yeah. and she gets so granular in it but it's just a good point that yeah. the topic we're talking about today is that at the end of the day fish are kind of carnivorous aren't they yeah they really are they really are all right so you would expect they eat aquatic insects terrestrials worm snails crustaceans eggs other fish but what are some of the surprising things that trout eat, things that might surprise people? Now, you know, a lot of veteran fly fishers may know this already, but I, I think if you're new to fly fishing, you might be surprised. So the first is mice. Uh, I've perched, in fact, I've got three or four uh, mouse patterns that I want to try. I have to confess, I have never caught uh, a, a fish or a brown on a on a, on a mouse pattern. Have I haven't you? either, but I haven't used them, and, and I'm the same way. I've, I've got some that have been given to me, and like, I, I want to try these at some point. Time. And generally, when you do, you're doing it really once dusk hits, yeah, you're and doing then you're it fishing in the dark. late into the evening yep. or early mm -hmm. morning. Yeah. So, Maybe that's why we don't do it. No, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Dinner is yeah. calling and then bed. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. All right, something else that trout eat that might surprise people would be frogs. And I actually want to read an excerpt from an article that was posted by the National Wildlife Federation on uh, July 27, 2015. It said, this summer, which was 2015, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife will string gill nets across Gold Lake in California's Plumas County to trap and kill alien brook trout imported long ago from the east. The plan is part of a wider effort by the uh, CDFW, the U.S. National Park Service, and the U.S. Forest Service to remove brook, rainbow, and other trout species stocked for food and sport in waters throughout former frog habitat in California's High Sierra. The effort is sparking protests from area anglers, but it's likely the only way to keep mountain yellow-legged frogs on the planet and to help rebuild a collapsed ecosystem. Uh, these frogs uh, lived at high elevation in frigid, naturally fishless waters. Of two closely related uh, yellow leg frog species, and I'm going to pronounce these wrong, it looks like Latin, uh, Rana sierrae diverged from the more southerly R. muscosa and is barely hanging on near Gold Lake. Both species have nearly been wiped out across their range. Their demise is a case study of the ripple effects when we try to alter nature and the fight to save them reveals our best and worst roles as caretakers of the natural world. Around 1870, prospectors and mountaineers started packing trout fry into some Sierra lakes, including those in what is now the Plumas National Forest. Thousands more were stocked after World War II when the state dropped fry from airplanes. Oh my gosh. Isn't that something? 
Virtually no lake remained fishless. The aliens thrived by eating tadpoles, small frogs, and native invertebrates. Frogs that escaped predation frequently starved, and trout often developed stunted snake-like bodies. Oh as early as 1915, naturalist and Sierra explorer Joseph Grinnell noted that frogs, in the tadpole form at least, do not occur in lakes that are stocked with trout. Indeed, trout unraveled the high Sierra ecosystem. Frog predators such as the mountain garter snake were drastically reduced, as were many insect eaters, such as the Pacific tree frog and gray-crowned rosy finch that the trout deprived of food. Now, that gets into issues uh, beyond this podcast, but I thought it would be, it's just interesting because, uh, yeah, you, you can see here's a place where the, the lakes didn't have native populations of trout. You introduce these trout, and they're, they're, in, they're interested in eating frogs. Now the frogs are gone. Yeah, so, it's a good example yeah. of, in a sense, brook trout in the West, like yeah. the Plumas National mm-hmm. Forest, are invasive species. Yeah, they, they are. But they're by, exactly. I guess, humans, right? Oh, yeah. Same thing in Colorado with, uh, uh, you know, like brook trout. You don't think of them as predatory, but uh, but they've taken over where greenback cutthroat uh, used to, huh. to live. So, yeah, that does get beyond. That, I know that gets into other issues, but I thought our listeners might appreciate you know, hearing that, and again, that's that issue we wrestle with. We we need to be caretakers of nature, and and uh, you know, Dave, you and I would believe that humans have a role in that, but uh, we have to be careful not to overstep our bounds. Yeah, you wonder what in correcting the situation, what they're going to alter. Yeah, I mean, it's there's no way they're going to get back to the original pristine state pre no pre frog or no. pre brook trout, right? I mean, you, you're always you, when you change stuff. There's always those unintended consequences. Yeah, that's right. You wonder what has changed so much mm-hmm. that maybe the frogs can't even come back. I'm not yeah. saying it's not a good right. impulse, but I'm, it's just so interesting. It, just, it really this is this idea of trying to restore yeah. uh, restore the frogs. So if we ever became bait fishermen for trout, we could put a frog on. Man, there you go. Probably I did that when I was a kid. Yeah. I think with little frogs to catch crappies or yeah, something yeah, like yeah, that back sure. on my grandparents' farm. Okay, but the larger point is uh, trout eat some things that may surprise you. They eat mice. They they eat frogs. Uh, here's here's another one that that relates to this uh, whole matter of, of environment, and that's uh, I saw a YouTube video of a guy who fished for trout in the same pond over time. And he kept finding corn in their stomachs, and he found out that people were using corn to chum the fish, you know, oh something my. that's illegal. And so, yeah, you could find trout eating things that, uh, I don't know, whether it's pink marshmallows or <laughs> Things not or found corn in the natural that, world. Y- yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was just recently in Seattle, and often when I'm traveling, I'll talk to the Uber driver. And so this was north of Seattle in Everett, Washington, and... So I just, we started talking about fishing, forget how it was late at night. And we started talking about fishing and, and he talked about going to the river and catching, I think he was talking about the pink salmon run, but he was catching them with pellets. Oh, wow. He said, because about 40%, about 40% (laughs) of all the salmon are stock salmon. So huh, they recognize yeah. those oh, yeah. pellets, right? <laughs> That's right. Instead of a cluster of midges, it's a cluster of pellets. Yeah, a little bag of brown pellets. Oh, my gosh. Oh, that's crazy. Uh, Dave, something else I remember, uh, you and I heard Craig Matthews talk about this. What else is it that 
that trout eat that probably surprise people. One of the best memories of West Yellowstone for me, and I've been there a ton of times, was that time we walked into uh, the Blue, Blue Ribbon, Ribbon Flies, flies yep. yeah, mm-hmm. the, the fly shop that Craig Matthews originally founded. I guess he's not the founder anymore, but or the owner, yeah, yeah, he yeah, yeah he's it, the owner, yep. yeah. So he sold it. And he was sitting there, as he often is, holding court. And we were waiting yeah. to go out on a guided trip. I think it was we were going out with Curtis yeah. to mm-hmm. uh, Baker's Hole, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and he was he was just chatting it up. And he said, "Oh yeah, we, there was just you know some big fish found in Hebgen Lake, which is you know just around the corner from West Yellowstone." And they emptied their uh, no 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 no. There were two things. One, they found a ground squirrel. Yes, yeah. In the belly of one of yeah. the big browns. Mm-hmm. They also found it was a brown trout that had like a fish almost equal to its size in its mouth and its tail coming out. Yeah. Do you remember that? Maybe yes. Curtis told us that. Yeah. So. These browns, oh, I mean, they eat humans, I think, yeah. if they could get their mouth around it. Yeah. Yeah, you, you catch a trout with a big bulge in its stomach, and uh, yeah, it, it could be a mouse, it, it could be a could be a ground squirrel, uh, maybe another trout that's its size. They, they weren't getting along very well that day. Maybe they were arguing over who got to eat the kids. This one ate, this one ate the kids, so, uh, oh boy. You know, yeah, I, I was I once talked with a fly shop owner in Colorado uh, who had lived in Colorado his entire life. And, well, actually, he was a local fly shop owner here in DuPage County and, well, near where I live in Wheaton. And he had just moved from Colorado. He used to guide people. And you know, he would take these guides up into these high mountain lakes, but also tons of streams. And they would catch so many brook trout. Now, those would be an invasive species, too, right, yeah. in Colorado? Mm-hmm. They, yeah, right. They said they would literally just put a hook down there. Oh, man. So, I mean, the fish, <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, it, there was so much. They must have been, like, starving. Oh, yeah. They were all very small because in a stream like that with that many fish, you know, you, yep. generally you only have, you don't get any big fish. No. But they were hitting bear hooks. Oh, that's crazy. So that really brings up the point then, or the question, what are some crazy flies or other things that that we've had trout strike on or that we've heard uh, other people talk about? So you mentioned bear hooks. Uh, I've actually had strikes on split shot. Dave, I'll never forget the first time that I fished uh, below Tower Fall on the Yellowstone. This is back in 1986, and there weren't as many people. You know, we'd, we'd, you'd just go around that first bend. You know, you, you go down the, yep. the trail, you come to the river, you go around the first bend. And and it was it was a little bit like, uh, you know, that area now that we have to go three or four miles to find areas that people aren't fishing hard. And I remember, well, you know where it is. It's that great big pool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, down by that rock, I think it's about where the close to where the buffalo we thought was going to charge us that day. But it's also we yeah. sat there and watched the wolf on the other side. Yeah, Remember? that's right. That's, that's where we had lunch that, that is, one that day. That is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, I, I never forget the first time I fished that, and I had a I had a woolly bugger on with a split shot, and I I threw it into that pool, and as I'm watching it drop. This cutthroat darts out from beneath the rock and grabbed my split shot, <laughs> and I was I was shocked. And then, you know, I just let it stay there. And then, you know, I'm stripping it in because I'm so shocked. And and I think it was the same fish darted out and took the the woolly bugger. 
But the th crazy thing hit my that split is shot unbelievable. first. I have a memory of fishing with you on tower somewhere around that time, 86, 87. Mm -hmm. Because oh, you yeah. took me. Did I come out for Alan's right. wedding? Yeah, that's right. You were through there, and and I yeah, we went up there, didn't we? And it, I think you took me there because you had just been there and had such yeah. a, had such a good experience. So I, I remember catching a ton that. of fish on a on a woolly boat. Dave, I totally forgot about that. We've talked about yeah fishing there so often but i forgot that you fished it with me as well back in those days I think your brother dave was with us oh too. yeah i'm sure he was oh man yeah oh that's really cool i <laughs> mean it was really yeah every time you threw out your uh your woolly bar you had yep. a hit i mean oh, it was one of those it, it was it was just, just unbelievable it really great. was I've, I've never experienced anything like that and i I, I think sometimes even when we go up four miles it doesn't seem like they no, I mean, it's no, good no. it's really good but that was just like fishing in a fish hatchery, yeah, it wasn't really it? really was, yeah. yeah. You know, something else that I've had strikes on would be a, a strike indicator. I A few years ago when I was tying a lot more flies, I, I got the idea that I had some yarn, and I forget what it was, but it was something synthetic that would be kind of waterproof, or so I thought. Uh, but I So I just tied up some strike indicators, Um <laughs> You just basically have tufts of these things and just, you know, wrap it at the bottom. So I did that. And I've had a couple of times where I've had fish uh, strike those strike indicators. Really? I've, I've had them, you know, huh. more often than not, they'll rise and look at it. I've had that, and I think they think it's this is a hopper, and then it likes, looks weird. But, no, I've huh. had that, and I think it's in the summer when they're maybe geared on hoppers or something. Probably that happened on the Yellowstone as well with that same group of fish. <laughs> well, you have to tell the story about your Uncle Ivan. I think he's had a few things hit his strange Oh, flies. yeah, my my goodness. I remember the one time we were in Rocky Mountain National Park, uh, which, you know, at the time, it still is that way. You can only, uh, you know, you can only fly fish in this section, and... And so we're, I'm over here with my fly rod. He's over there, and he's just hauling them in. And, and the, these are brook trout. And I finally went over and said, Uncle Ivan, what are you using? And and see kind of this sheepish look. <laughs> and he shows me this this ugly wet fly that was, you know, might have had two strands of whatever it was originally tied on left. And I was like, okay, that's not much more than a bare hook. And he says, well, he said... He says, I've been, I've been putting a little bit of my ham for my ham sandwich on it. Nothing in the regulation says a fellow can't use his, his sandwich. But, okay. So, yeah, that's, that's maybe a slight step up from pellets. But, Nothing uh, in the regulations that says a fella. A fella can't. Oh, I tell you what, whenever I heard my Uncle Ivan said, I don't know why a fellow couldn't. It's like, oh, no. What, what are we, uh, what's going to happen now? We have a picture of him yeah. on our Instagram account. Yeah, he just with turned. A big catfish. He just turned 90. He's still out fishing and he hunts whitetails. He's, uh, uh, you know, out getting maple out of trees, making maple syrup, lives back in, uh, in northern Pennsylvania. I mean, he, he Was is. Was he older than your dad? Yeah, yeah, he because my dad would my dad would turn eighty this fall if, if he was alive. Oh, wow. So he was a lot yeah, older. his brother was ten years older, and 
Yeah, we'll have to do an episode sometime just on some of my experiences hunting and fishing with my Uncle Ivan. Uncle Ivan. Yeah, he's a character. Yeah, he really is. Great guy. I, I miss those times. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I told, I may have shared on the podcast one time, we were above somewhere up in that Mill Creek, or Mill, I'm sorry, Mills Lake drainage in Rocky Mountain National Park, and we were we were fishing, and, and we got off, you know, we were on this little stream, and we were sort of lost, and we're on this mountainside, <laughs> and uh, thinking, oh, man, are we ever going to get home? And, and then there was a helicopter that flew by. I don't know what it was doing, but we're all there, including my uncle Ivan, waving our arms like, well, why? You know, is this helicopter going to drop down and... <laughs> yeah, life light us out. Yeah, we'll do that for ten grand a person. Some sort of MacGyver. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Rescue. Oh, but anyway, I I digress. Um, you know, we're we're, t- we're talking mainly about surprising things trout eat. Uh, Dave, here's another one, and this also involves Rocky Mountain National Park. I've I've shared before about uh, Jerry Williams. He was a veteran uh, fly fisher. He was a ranger. Uh, naturalist who came up uh, seasonally from Texas. He taught in a taught in a college. It might just have been a community college, but he came up and he was telling a story about how he was trying to catch this big brown that was in a hole in the Big Thompson River in Moraine Park. So if you've ever been to Rocky Mountain National Park, Moraine Park's a beautiful area. There's a campground there. You look out over this glacial moraine and Anyway, the Big Thompson River, which is more the size of a creek, flows through it. And anyway, he had been trying, he said, all summer to catch this big brown. And he would go down late in the evening. And and I think he might have even hooked it once. Well, one evening as he's approaching, he met a, a boy, probably 10 or 11, with a spinning rod holding this huge brown. And as Jerry <laughs> Williams said, that was my fish. He was coming from that hole. And he said says what really got him though really what what uh you know poured salt in the wounds was the kid said yeah look what i caught it on well it was this big budweiser plug <laughs> i mean th- this is something you'd use in a pond for bass those of you who fish for bass you've got these big plugs and some of them look like fish other times people are just having fun so this one was painted like a budweiser can and the kid had caught it on that so unless that, unless those trout were, were drinking bud or something, uh, they were, you know, just look like a, look like another big fish. So, oh man, you believe oh, it? Oh my! So should we? What's the takeaway from this this episode? Should we uh, all start slinging <laughs> Budweiser plugs? Yeah, or using our ham sandwiches? Yes, exactly. Oh man, yeah. No, I guess we're not saying to put crazy things on the end of your fly line, but perhaps the biggest takeaway is that fish eat larger ticket items than than we think they do. Uh, you never know when a big streamer or a, an ugly fly just might work. Yeah, so yeah. it's like somebody said, you know, if you've got something on your your end of your fly line that's uh, an inch long and it's, you know, it's brown and, you know, has some movement to it, you may just catch fish. <laughs> I'm always amazed. Every so often you'll catch a really small trout on a really big oh, yeah. streamer. And you're thinking, yeah. how did you even get that hook in your mouth? But they, <laughs> oh, it's just amazing what fish will put in their mouth, yeah, basically. It really is. Just crazy. So anyway, uh, when, when you get out there, uh, 
uh, yeah, you never know. You never know what uh, the trout are going to eat, and they eat larger items than you think. So, yeah, like the old adage goes, big streamers, big fish. And, and yeah, big streamers, sometimes little fish as well. All right, it's time for great stuff from our listeners. Here's a comment from David. He's a longtime listener. He made this comment about our podcast on the basics of buying a fly fishing rod. I began that podcast by comparing the joy of buying a fly rod to the joy I had as a kid when I saved for a, a spider bike with a banana seat and a sissy bar. So uh, David starts off like this. He says, ah, the old banana seat and sissy bar. I went one step even further. I cut the forks off the front end of an older bike, added them to a newer bike to make it into a chopper. Oh, I know exactly what that looks oh, like. I do too. I thought about doing that as well, and then by the time I got to it i was too old to do it he said i also added playing cards with clothes pins to oh, make a clapping sound classic. the good old days you remember that oh, totally oh. well i added baseball cards players i didn't like and and the sad <laughs> thing is in fact i have to confess my brothers and i in our basement shot bb guns at some cards that we didn't like you know the particular player of the team well, now I find out they'd be worth 150 bucks if they were in mint condition. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't that terrible? Oh, gosh. Anyway, David continues. He says, now for the selection of a new fly rod. I personally don't think anyone needs a top-of-the-line rod. The prices have gotten out of control. I would recommend a lesser-known company rod, a much, a much more affordable rod than you can get. And it gives you pretty much the same result. Uh, top name companies are riding on the popularity of the sport, as are most fly fishing accessories companies. A quick question for both. Have you found that certain rod companies are more popular in different parts of the country? Just curious. Well, those are good questions. I, you know, I would agree that you have to be careful because sometimes you do pay for a brand name. I do think there's also a sense in which I, you know, I, I could... I could make do with a, a cheaper rod, but I, I did, I'll use the word invest, or, or bought a Winston a few years ago when it was about $200 less than it is now. And, and I don't regret that. I, I think it's fine to have, you know, if, if you're really into something, you know, okay, go ahead and get, you know, get a nice rod if you can afford it. But, but David's absolutely right. I mean, you, you can you can do fine with a, a cheaper rod and, and you always have to weigh that don't you sometimes you could be paying for the brand so i i mean i have a nice uh you know thousand dollar sage rod that i use and i i love it it's a yeah, i use it for both fly for dry fly fishing and streamer fishing it's really a stream a streamer rod uh it's so stiff and i just love it but yeah. just recently I, I bought a euro nymphing rod and i thought you know i could spend you know the sage euro rod the 10 foot i think it's a it's a 10 foot three weight is yeah. ranked the mm -hmm. number one yeah. in terms of how sensitive it is and everything about it. But I thought there is just no way I'm spending a grand for yeah. a Euro rod. Mm -hmm. And, and so I started looking at the different Euro rods and I've had different listeners re make recommendations. I looked at the moonshine rods. We wanted to do an interview mm -hmm. with them. Uh, they just never responded to our, um, to our email, but uh, there's just a ton of rods out there. So I eventually purchased a $250 Echo, Echo 2, I think it is. Yeah. And so it's a rod I hadn't heard of, but I looked at it, looked at the, you know, the ratings and thought, meh, if I'm going to buy a lower end rod, 
I'm mm-hmm. not going to, I may as well yeah, spend 250 right. and I'm going to get this little echo because mm-hmm. it was recommended by a, a guy that I really trust. So yeah. I totally agree, especially mm-hmm. when you're starting out, you just, you can't tell the difference, no. my friend. No, you but really But yes, can't. as you get multiple rods, mm-hmm. as you get more sophisticated, yeah, yeah, you start to say, okay, this is something I really want to invest in and yeah. I'll get a, you know, I'll get a higher end rod. So right. I don't think either you and I are are against buying great rods right. and, and a lot of them are branded mm. great rods, right? But right. At the end of the day, when you're first starting out, especially, just learn how to fly fish. Yeah, and you get a good graphite rod, it, it's, it'll serve you well. You know, his other question, have you found that certain rod companies are more popular in different parts of the country? I guess a couple things on that. Probably I haven't, you know, I haven't fished widely enough in the East Coast to, to know if that's the case. But it really seems, though, with the internet and and it's a small amount of it's a small industry. We've said before there's a small niche. Yeah, it's less than a billion dollars, I think. In yeah, terms of the entire fly fishing industry. Right. So even here and and in Michigan, I I see Winston rods for sale, uh, even though that's a Montana uh, company. Uh, even though Orvis is originally East Coast, I mean they're they're all over the place. I I I first learned about Orvis rods in Montana, so. Yeah, I don't know that that's the case. Now, it, it it well could be. There could be pockets, places where, hey, this particular rod brand is, is a hot thing. But I just find that wherever I go, it seems like Sage and Orvis and Winston and and there's some others. Loomis. Uh, Loomis. Loomis, not as much. I don't hear no, as much about No, you don't hear Loomis. as much. TFO, which yeah, is a good sure. Temple Fork Outfitters, which is a, a lower price but excellent quality rod. Uh, Reddington, I don't know. It seems like the the major brands are kind of everywhere. But I'm I'm sure I'm sure you could find places where, you know, everybody's yeah, using. That's a good question. Yeah. All right. Our final segment in today's podcast is hook set. This is where we set the proverbial hook and wrap up our podcast by sharing a quote that we will reflect on briefly. Today's quote comes from Charles Fox. He was a well-known entomologist and fly tire in the days of Joe Brooks and Ernie Schweiber. I believe he lived in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. That's the home of the Latorte. I was through there last summer and uh, regretted I didn't have time to fish the Latorte. I told myself I was probably there at the wrong time. I probably wasn't. Anyway, this is Fox's quote. He said, There are those who regard fly fishing for trout not just as a part of living, but as a way of life. Hmm. What do you think about that? There are those who regard fly fishing for trout not just as a part of living, but as a way of life. You know, I'd have to say, I, I think we've probably gone on record in saying we, we probably think it's both. It's a, it's a way of life in some ways. It, it does give a lot of shape to our lives, but, but it's also a part of it. Yeah. I think it, it definitely, sh- I think that if you're a long-term fly fisher, it shapes how you think about life. It shapes your view of the environment. Yeah, that's, I don't care that's what point. side yeah. of the politics you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, you care about access. You care about public lands. You care about conservation. Mm-hmm. I think so it shapes that way. It also shapes me about what I really want in this world. Mm-hmm. I mean, I want more days on the water. I don't yeah. want more days at the mall. I don't want more right. days mm-hmm. watching the Bears play, even as much as I love watching the Bears or the Cubs or the Twins. Um, or the Cardinals. Uh, I had, to, meh, had to work meh, that in. Yeah. <laughs> meh. So, so I, I, I think it's both. I would yeah. say that's true. That's probably an easy answer, but 
Um, but definitely the part of your life, it's I would say it's part of the soul of how I think of, of my life. That it's sounds a, really wacky. Yeah, but. that is a good point. It's a way of life, and maybe because it's, a, it's an outdoor pursuit, and I think about my life being so connected to the outdoors, and, and hunting was that for me, elk hunting, deer hunting. Uh, but, yeah, it, it, it does, you're right, it does provide a particular... Uh, shape. I mean, I, I think about the year in terms of, uh, you know, seasons of, of fly fishing. And so, yeah, that's a that's an interesting statement, isn't just, it? Just last night, uh, my wife and I were coming home after, I don't know, we were doing something. And I don't know why I was on this rag, but I started... I just started going off. Oh, you you just go <laughs> off. Any, you don't need a reason, Dave. <laughs> but we were talking about uh, some... Like my, my father and my mother are still alive. They live in their home, and they're in their mid-80s. But a lot of his friends are dead, and mm-hmm. and those who aren't are in nursing homes or really at mm-hmm. the end of, you know, they're staying with family or yeah. something. And so I just started going off. Like, I said, Jana, we've lived in the suburbs of Chicago in this wonderful suburb of Wheaton. But I said, if you want to kill me at the end of my life, put me in an you know, one of those retirement communities with all the telephone lines around it, <laughs> yeah, with groomed yeah. lawns and little fountains. Yeah. I said, I want to, this sounds so wacky, I want to die in the outdoors. <laughs> I don't want to be, and I realize you're all, you know, at yeah. that point, you have no choice. But I hope we're not fishing together <laughs> when that happens. <laughs> Maybe we should have a grizzly yeah, yeah. bear just take both of us out. Oh, that love. would beat, that would really beat having to sit in a nursing home in a suburb watching people mow the lawn that would be horrible yeah that would be tough well and hey we we realize if if you have family that that are in that situation or some of you are doing that yeah sometimes that's the only alternative thank you pastor steve yeah yeah that's right that's right (laughs) thank you for that qualification yeah notice how i softened your rant a little bit but this is back to that whole after having spent my entire life in the outdoors, growing up in the rural, growing yeah. up in North and South yeah. Dakota, living mm-hmm. in Montana, living in mm-hmm. the West, Colorado, yeah, man, I just there's a part of me that it's changed me. Yeah, oh, it really has. Anyway, it really has. Enough of me. Wow, Charles Fox didn't know what kind of discussion he was going to provoke <laughs> when he penned those lines, did he? I think we better stop, huh? I think we better stop. Oh, really, we are done. This was a good discussion today. And that'll do it. So, again, we want to thank you as our listeners. Thanks for listening. I'm Steve Mathewson. And I'm Dave Getz. Until next time, we are Two Guys in a River. For the love of fly fishing.